relevance is really key. This evolution of thinking and broadening out of our proposition has been driven by, we need to be more relevant to more people. Otherwise, the pure offer of a savings account with us and a mortgage with us is not enough. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we'll be hearing from David Marlowe, Chief Executive of the Nottingham Building Society. David will share with us how they've used data and analytics to successfully go against the trend of closing retail branches instead experiencing explosive growth in their branch numbers. He'll also describe how they turned typical building society thinking on its head to come up with a new view of who they needed to focus on. And he'll talk about their partnering approach to remaining relevant in the digital world, preparing them to attract a new cohort of customers they can serve well into the future. David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Uh, just to get started, maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself and about Nottingham Building Society. Yes, of course. So I'm David Marlowe, Chief Exec of the Nottingham. Uh, been the Chief Exec for just over 10 years now. Prior to joining the Nottingham, I spent a lot of time at the Alliance in Leicester, where I did a whole range of jobs across pretty well all the organisation from personal loans, current account savings and the branch network. Prior to that, I sort of cut my teeth as a management trainee at Lloyds Bank, where I got my banking qualification, etc. And could you just give us a sense of the organization's size, focus, where is it located, those sorts? I mean, obviously in Nottingham, but beyond that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So um, we're a top 10 um, building society. I think we're ninth at the moment. Um, We have around about four billion pounds of assets on the balance sheet. We look after just under 300,000 members. Um, we have a fairly large branch network for an organisation of our size, which is around 48 branches, which we have expanded a fair bit over the last sort of five or six years. So in 2013, we had 32 branches and one branch south of the River Trent. And now we have 48 branches spread across 10 counties which go out to Norfolk and all the way down to uh, to St Albans. So we've sort of extended our physical footprint over the last few years, as well as sort of established an online digital presence as well. Mm-hmm. If I understand right, that's a bit sort of counter to the trend of what a lot of financial services, retail financial services organisations are doing. What's led you to that? Well, I think, I mean, you're right. It, we have been very much counter but it's been very, very successful. So um, if I sort of just give you some context of the success that we've had, Mm -hmm. it took us 165 years to get to our first billion pounds of branch savings balances. Uh, And then we started to expand the network a little bit. And we did the second billion in four years. And we've just gone through two and a half billion pounds in our branch network at the beginning of this year. So we've had pretty explosive growth in our branches. But we've done it in a very particular way. And I think that's sort of what sets us apart a little bit. We do believe that there are segments of the UK population that really prefer to operate with a financial service provider in a branch. 
Our job is to find out where they are and to make sure that our branches then are populated or located in those places. So we've done quite a lot of deep data analysis, market data analysis, to understand the types of people and the segments that like branches. And then go and look for towns particularly that over-index in a population of those types of people. And so we had a list of about 70 locations across 10 counties that met those requirements uh, and then waited for a larger player to leave. And we've stepped in when somebody large left. In a lot of instances, we took their premises and quite a few of their staff because branch banking is all about personalities and all about the people. And we have had phenomenal success going into places like Matlock and Buxton and Ashbourne and Spalding and Fakenham and Deerham, uh, not places that you would normally have um, as prime places for branches, but they're absolutely the right place for branches for our type of organisation. And by going to the right places with the right proposition, we've seen that pretty explosive growth in our branches. Mm-hmm. This, I realize this is stereotyping, but the sorts of people who want to bank in branches tend to be a bit older, uh, maybe a little less affluent. Is that actually the case or is that not true? Well, no, I think they're, they're older. They're 55 plus. They have quite um, high levels of cash savings. They're not the sort of sophisticated market investor. They will probably have 70 to 80% of their wealth in cash. They'll have some um, stocks and shares, but they'll be a very, very traditional saver. They will have inherited money from parents that have been that uh, post-war generation who tend to stick to what they know and, and cash. They love the social interaction and contact that a branch gives. And so if you look at a typical branch we have that's very successful, it's about a lifestyle. They like to go into town two or three times a week because they go to the market. They buy in the market. They go to the boutique shops. Mm -hmm. uh, They may go for a coffee. They might drop in for a pint at the pub. um, And they pop into the building society and have a chat with the team there, um, get a little bit of cash, maybe sort a few bits and pieces out. And it's very much part of the way they want to live. And that's why, you know, a lot of the places that we've been successful are traditionally agricultural-based market towns where not surprisingly, people who are reasonably wealthy gravitate to for their later years and their retirement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just to kind of look for a minute at purpose, what would you say the purpose of the Nottingham is? And how did you go about settling on that or discovering it or realizing that's what it had always been, however it occurred? How did you sort of get to that? As a building society, we're a mutual and we are owned by our members. We're not owned by um, our shareholders. As the chief executive and as uh, the executive directors and the board, we're custodians of the capital that's been built up through past membership. And it's our job to apply that capital for the benefit of current and future members. It's a slightly different business model. And to become a member, you need to either have a mortgage with us or save £100. And you effectively own, while you have that account, you own a part of the, uh, the society and trust effectively. And the board is there to, uh, to, to put that capital to good use in, in the provision of financial services. Clearly, the origins of uh, building societies were groups of people coming together and uh, accumulating their savings 
and using the accumulation of those savings to buy houses for people in the group. So a closed building society in its first inception was a group of savers. They kept saving till everybody got a house. Then they closed the society down. Um, we're an open society. We just keep going. Mm-hmm. So we gather together people's savings and we lend them out to allow people to buy their homes. And in doing so, we're owned by our members. So the ownership model is quite a bit different. I think one of the elements that we maybe look at things a little bit differently is that I talk to a lot of my peers in the sector that tend to be very asset driven when they look at their balance sheet and the mortgages are you know, a very, very important part of what they do. And, and it tends to drive their strategies. So the types of mortgages they want to do, um, there's a lot of focus on having assets on your balance sheet. Uh, and that, I, I guess, to a point is, is understandable. We look at it a little bit differently. Um, and I think with good, sound reason, and that is two things, really. We need seven or eight savers for every mortgage customer. That won't be any surprise to you because the average mortgage today is about 220000 and the average saver doesn't have £220,000 um, of savings. They have a little bit less than that. So savers outnumber mortgage customers by at least seven to one. So when you're serving your membership, the numbers are not level. And then I think another way of of looking at it, which helps with um, understanding where we place our emphasis, if you like, is that savers choose us. We choose mortgage customers. So if we're going to lend somebody a lot of money, they need to meet a a level of eligibility and criteria before we're happy to entrust them with our members' money, if you like. So we choose who we lend the money to the savers choose us. So there needs to be really distinct differentiation as to why somebody would choose you as the home for their savings. And I think it's been very helpful for us from a purpose of our strategy to be really clear about that. Savers outnumber seven to one. They choose us. We choose borrowers. It's pretty logical about where you place your emphasis. Yeah. It sounds like as an organization, you've broadly had the same purpose. The way you do it may be a little different, but you've had the same purpose all that time, 165 years, whatever it's been. That seems very unusual. Should we change that? Should we shift from being focused on helping people save safely and get a mortgage if that's what they want to to something broader or different or having a greater social impact or, you know, or anything? The answer to that is yes. We believe that our purpose has evolved to be something slightly broader than the pure sort of construct of a building society. And we say that we are here to help people save, plan for and protect for their financial future. If you come to one of our branches, as an example, um, we offer whole of market financial advice. So we have advisors available in our branches to uh, give people much broader advice on their financial well-being, whether that's thinking about saving for a pension or in many cases, managing their pension wealth and and the decumulation phase of of their pension. Um, We offer a range of protection elements such as buildings and contents insurance and various other insurances. And then very differently as a building society, we're the only building society in the UK that does this, is that if you come to us for a mortgage, we offer whole of market mortgage advice. 
you have a 97% chance of coming to us and leaving with a mortgage from another provider, which a lot of people find quite disturbing, I think, sometimes. But the way that I describe it is um, our office is in the centre of Nottingham. You look out the window in my office and you can see thousands of chimney pots of people who live sort of, you know, close to the centre of Nottingham. When we used to just sell our own mortgages and nothing else, I probably could have helped about seven, eight percent of those chimney pots find, you know, with a mortgage. Today, I can help 90 percent plus through the service that we offer. And that, I think, demonstrates that we've broadened the purpose out a little bit to not just we help you save with us and borrow from us. We actually help you save in the right way, of which hopefully, you know, part of that is saving with us, but also using your wealth and your savings in a different way. And then actually we'll find the right mortgage for you uh, because people are very different. And the eligibility and criteria piece is such that, you know, it now allows us to help so many more people. So, you know, we, we help a lot more people find a mortgage than we, uh, than we lend to each year. And that's very different from the society. So I think we have broadened our purpose. That's really interesting. I want to come into sort of how you got to that point of view in a second. But it sounds to me like there's maybe been, call it a co-evolution, that you're thinking about your strategy and the shift to savers kind of went a bit with this idea of broadening out the purpose. Or did one drive the other? How did that all happen over time? I think what happened over time is that the one question that we as an executive team and the board have clearly challenged ourselves on is, are you relevant? And who are you relevant to? And I think with a Victorian business model that's got, you know, a great reputation, but it's a little bit sort of through rose-tinted spectacles and seen as a little bit of a sort of historical type of organisation, relevance is really key. This evolution of thinking and broadening out of our proposition has been driven by, we need to be more relevant to more people. Otherwise, the pure offer of a savings account with us and a mortgage with us is not enough. You think you might take that same idea of broadening out to cover not just mortgages with other people, but other savings products. It doesn't necessarily have to be with us. We're here to help you find the best solution. And we think somehow in the midst of that, we'll make enough money to keep it all going. In reality, I think we would always see ourselves as being the right home for the savings because that powers the balance sheet, which is where we actually make most of our money. So, you know, most of the income that's generated from the organisation is the assets and the margin. You know, it's important for us to have a balance sheet. We are developing a really smart digital strategy, which to the outside world would look very similar, for example, to Moneybox. You know, so Moneybox very much an up and coming um, sort of digital brand with a great consumer offer. At the moment, they don't have a balance sheet behind it. And so their ability to make real money is almost really hard. It's very, very difficult. Whereas, you know, we feel that actually we can offer that proposition but we, it is powered by a balance sheet behind it that drives, that drives the income that would make us sustainable. So savings are the root of what we do. They are the core, so they shall remain. But what we have done is we've put a range of services around that 
to allow you to plan for and manage your finances in a fair way because I know I'm getting you know really good choice on a range of uh, elements but the core of the relationship is saving right right is there anything more you want to say about what you're doing digitally the success we've had in our branches by being very relevant to a cohort of savers who are over 55 who live in agricultural based market towns in itself that doesn't secure sustainability in managing and developing the society because you need younger members coming through you know you can take a gamble and think that younger people will one day become 55 and will go and live in agricultural based market towns but i think by the time that they do that they'll see the world very differently and they'll want to interact with the world very differently so we have for some time really understood that we need to at the same time as having success by being very focused with the traditional parts of the business begin to develop uh, a new cohort of membership amongst younger savers and that can only really be achieved digitally because that's where they want to be is that what sort of sparked what you're doing digitally is we've got to get younger customers or was it we want to do something digital we know that's what we need to do oh who are we going to aim it at no i think it was you've got a strong loyal customer base at 55 plus but that's not sustainable and to be sustainable we need a balance in the uh, in the membership and we need to be able to be relevant to younger savers so that they see us as a source to help them plan and protect for their future because their set of demands and requirements from a financial perspective are really quite different from 55 year old people who've accumulated wealth and are you know at, at a different phase of their life so the the range of services needs to be tweaked slightly but more importantly the way in which you deliver it needs to be very different and i think you and i know that that means digital in an app available online how did you go about developing this strategy because it sounds like and we've touched on it a bit in a number of ways you're not following the building society herd you're cutting your own path. So what was the journey over time? The essence and the development of the strategy was certainly a real understanding of what a strong mutual should do and a focus on we need to be relevant um, today and in the future. So we talked about those things. That's where the strategy came from. It really evolved very strongly after the financial crisis. Every financial institution was sort of rocked back to its core in the financial crisis and then it was how how did you come out of that and how did you evolve and develop from there so we built out with the branch network piece first though so we stuck closer to what we knew but again i think i touched upon it a little bit earlier what it was driven by from an external perspective is really great data and analysis and insight so we built models with caci that hadn't been built that way before because of the question that we were asking so we we were able to have a very strong data analytical insight to overlay a purposeful strategy so that we could understand that there were sufficient opportunities there to be financially successful that we had a view of what good would look like in 1 3 and 5 years in those branches we used the best insight and data and analysis and modeling to develop that 
um, on the digital side, rather than buying rather proprietary standard digital capability from your legacy provider, we made a very brave decision that in order to deliver the type of rich proposition that we wanted to do, we decided that our system of engagement digitally would be the Salesforce platform. So we work very closely with Salesforce and use their amazing capability um, and bring that to bear for our members. And that will show later this year when we launch a savings app. And we could never have built that on our own, off our own back with our own resources. The only way we would have been able to have done that is by working with the right partners and the right expertise. And did you work directly with Salesforce or was it sort of the Salesforce is you and there's some other organization helping you interface with them? Interestingly, we did start with, uh, with Salesforce and the systems integrator, as it's called. Um, but in actual fact, in the evolution of our, of our relationship and, and, and development on this app, we're working directly with Salesforce. Was that just because you couldn't get the support you needed from a systems integrator or you got to be interesting enough that Salesforce said, actually, what these guys are doing is pretty interesting. We ought to work with them directly. From our perspective, I think we understood that if we really wanted to get the very best out of the platform, then we needed to work directly with Salesforce. So that was where the push came from our side. And I think from their side, it's exactly as you say, is that we're small enough to do things that are really quite different without taking an enormous amount of their resource. And I think they were excited about our enthusiasm for what we wanted to deliver and wanted to work with us on that and have done brilliantly. Hmm. And in that process, do you feel the people in the Nottingham have their own digital skills, whatever that might be? And have they gotten stronger through all of that? Well, I think that's something that's very much in progress. And so we've, we've developed a good squad of, of admins. Uh, and then there's the development side, which is trickier. It's harder to have a significant development capability of your own. We found that's quite difficult. We tend to end up with a small number of homegrown people we bring through ourselves uh, working with Salesforce and then with third parties. So that's a, a little bit of a hybrid model from a development perspective. The sense I get is you, you sort of have a group of people who know how to use it, how to make the tool work. You have a few people who can work with the real sort of toolsmiths, the people who say, okay, great, you want this whole new capability, you want something different, that's, that's fine. We go off and build that. Once the app is launched, you get into that constant incremental development cycle. You build out the, the core and then you incrementally develop through releases and drops. And we've not got to that phase yet of that incremental release and drop. And I think that's the challenge that at that point we'll need to make sure that we've got the right combination of our own um, in-house skill and then the right external support. Is there anything you're particularly proud of in, in sort of the journey you've been over the last number of years and particularly about this, you know, how you've gone about developing a purposeful strategy? We've proved that branches work, you know, and I think that's, that's something in itself um, and, and, and we're proud of that. But I think, you know, this app, this Beehive Money app that we will launch later this year, not only will it be a really innovative and engaging way to save, which it will be, you know, you'll be able to 
open an account in seconds by just taking a photo of your driving license and a selfie. That's all you'll need, you know, for us to, and we will do the rest digitally in the background. You'll be able to set your own savings goals. You'll be able to monitor your progress to that. We will be able to help with tips on the way to do that. So it'll be a much more engaging way to save. But what we will be doing very, very shortly after launch is combining that with a digital led whole of market mortgage advice offering. So we will bring whole of market mortgage advice into the savers life uh, because you know the vast majority of the younger savers who are saving with us um, are looking to buy their first home. So we're one of the few LISA providers uh, in the UK and we already have over 50,000 people saving with us to buy their first home. So those members are going to go into an app at the end of this year which is going to be far more engaging and help them save more effectively. Uh, but then it's also going to give them access to whole of market mortgage advice. So we can engage with them much earlier in the journey, help them, educate them, inform them, support them whilst they're saving. And that's very different. That doesn't exist in the marketplace today. So I think that's, that's what we're very excited about. Demonstrating that branches can work and then actually demonstrating that building societies can be relevant in the digital world will be two things to tick off for me, which will make me very proud. Hmm. I, I can definitely understand that. Anything in the journey that you found difficult or that you sort of in retrospect, you wish you'd gone at it another way? Um, I think the hardest thing about developing this strategy over the course of the last seven or eight years, particularly, is the environment in which to trade normally has been as difficult and demanding as it is possible to get for a building society. Money has had no price. Bank-based rates have been at half, quarter of a percent. Uh, that makes life incredibly challenging for us, particularly when we're trying to look after the saver, so it puts the margin under enormous pressure. The backdrop to what we've had to work in, which is the aftermath of the financial crisis, very, very low interest rates, a vote to leave the EU, which wreaked a lot of havoc in the market over a fairly sustained period of time. And then in the last 14 months, a global pandemic where the, the economy shut down by 20% in a quarter. So the hardest thing has been developing that strategy with focus whilst having to deal with the most demanding trading environment that, that you could possibly imagine. I'll just give you a feel for you know, how it mitigates against our business model. Our capital, which is on, built up you know, through uh, past profits, is largely cash-based. We can't go off and invest it in exotic elements. We have to have it relatively available. So in very simplistic terms, if I've got 200 million pounds of capital and base rates of 5%, I've got 10 million pounds of income per annum that comes to me as a benefit of past membership. At 1%, that's down to 2 million. Half a percent, that's a million. So there's 9 million pounds of income disappeared out of your business overnight um, just because interest rates are low. And then obviously you add to that the competitive element. You actually have to overpay savers today relative to what you would do. You know, with base rate at 5%, you're probably paying your savers probably 1% below base on average. You know, so you're probably paying them 4%. You're probably, you know, charging your mortgage customers five and a half and the world all works. We've been paying our savers multiples of base for years. So it's the backdrop, I think, in which we've had to develop the strategy whilst dealing with that very challenging market backdrop and environment's probably been the hardest thing. From what you've said, 
sounds like you've had really strong support from your board throughout all of this. You can't do what we've done unless you've got a, a unitary board that's incredibly supportive and agrees with the strategy and is willing to invest. To get to where we are on digital, we've probably spent over £25 million pounds, um, over the last three or four years to get to the point where we are now. We'll get a massive return on that, but it takes time uh, and it's a big investment. It requires courage and a sharing of that purpose and that vision and a reasonable dose of patience which obviously from a mutual perspective is easier than with a market-led organization where the market scores your card every quarter. Yeah. And in that, would you have any tips or advice for a chief executive, for other leaders who are sort of wrestling with this whole question of purpose and strategy and how do you fit them together and how do you bring your organization with you and all that set of issues? Well, I firmly believe that actually the, the, the board and the chief exec's role is to marry purpose and strategy, because if you can marry that, then people will buy it. If people are supportive of your purpose and you have a strategy that they feel is strengthening that and delivering it and making you better, then people want to be part of that and they understand it and they are motivated by it and they're willing to, you know, to go the extra mile to make that happen. And when good things happen, they feel good about it. It's critical. Those two things are married. And aligned. And what, what, if any, would you say the impact's been on you personally on this journey? Um, well, I think it's been a it's been a mixture of enjoyment, challenge, uh, frustration. Um, I think the last fifteen months have been the hardest because we've had to sort of accelerate our strategic development at an incredibly fast rate at a time when the world's on its knees and not just the financial sector. So in the financial crisis, it was just the banks and the financial institutions that were having a significant crisis. You could leave work at the end of the day and the world was carrying on outside as normal. So you could leave work behind and get on and have a bit of a normal life. We've done so much in the last sort of 15 months, sort of strategically, at the same time as the world being a completely alien place to all of us. And the pressure that that's brought to all of us has been really difficult because not only are you dealing with things you need to do at work, but you're having to support your your team members and your customers and your members around you at a time that has been incredibly challenging. And do you think having as clear a purpose helped you accelerate that strategy? In simple terms, Belden, yes, because I think it's allowed us to be strategic in a crisis. So I think, you know, it, 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 it wouldn't be uncommon to say, well, we need to crack on and do these things because we need to be ready for when the world's different, when we come out of this. And it's not difficult to say, that's all very interesting, but I think let's just hang in for now and then we'll do it when we, uh, when we think we can see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But because strategy and purpose were so closely aligned and the pursuit of strategy was to deliver stronger purpose, it was easier in the darkest moment of the lockdown our board signed off two significant business cases last June when we were still locked down in the first lockdown. And we're getting the benefits of that this year and we're starting to see that roll through. David, it's been great. Thank you, really. It's fantastic. Um, appreciate you joining us. Hopefully I've been able to give you an insight into sort of our story and, and what we're up to. Thanks for joining us. Bye now. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.